All right, how are we all doing? We're good? Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into God's Word. Does that sound good? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time uh, that we have together. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would take my dead words and make them come alive, uh, that you'd take our dead hearts and make them come alive. Be at work in this time, we pray, uh, for our good, uh, for the good of this city, and for the glory of your name. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus, and all of God's people said with one super loud voice, Amen. Amen. Well, it is wonderful uh, to be here. Thank you, Matt, so much uh, for the invitation. Uh, I'm so thankful to God uh, for his work of grace, uh, which is at work through through Matt and the team here. And, and just to see what the Lord is doing. Three years. Did I hear that right? Three years. Can we praise God for that? That is just an amazing, amazing gift of gift of God and just so much to rejoice in him for all that he is doing uh, in and through this church. Uh, a little bit about myself, as Matt said, uh, I'm married, uh, I met Vanessa when I was 18 years of age. Uh, we'll actually celebrate our 15th wedding anniversary next month. Yeah, come on. And we're going to just keep going at this rate. So, uh, And we've got four kids. Uh, Jimmy Gaffigan, comedian, says, if you want to know what it's like to have four kids, just imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. So, so that's us. Uh, I think we've got a picture of my youngest child coming up here. Uh, there she is. Yeah. They say you shouldn't have favorites. They're wrong, right? <laughs> this is Lily. She's super, super cute. Uh, a little bit about me. I, I, so I grew up in Melbourne, lived in Melbourne my whole life. Uh, didn't grow up going to church. The only time I ever heard about Jesus was when someone was swearing. And uh, yet, like most Aussies, I did have big questions about life. Uh, so I think growing up, I'd experienced, I guess, lots of good things about life. I was part of a good school, had good mates, part of a good uh, sports team, was in a good band. Lots of good things going on, but a lot of difficult things at the same time. Uh, my dad was actually a very successful photographer, but he kind of got swept up into the kind of the drug and alcohol and party scene. Uh, and so times at home were a little bit unsettled. Uh, my parents separated when I was about nine years of age, uh, which was kind of the catalyst for my older brother's rebellion. Uh, he ended up joining some pretty heavy gangs, graffiti gangs. He ended up uh, living on the streets uh, for a few years, and things were very unsettled. I remember one morning when I was in year seven, opening the door to about eight suited police officers who came in to raid our, our little apartment, our little unit, looking for kind of drugs and stolen goods, and it was just totally freaked me out. They took my brother away that day, and, and I left going to school trying to make sense, uh, trying to kind of bring together these these two worlds of like, yeah, life is good, life is good, and yet life is also complex, and life is, is difficult, and kind of you, I know you've experienced it, you're going to bring those two worlds together, it makes you ask big questions. Why am I here? What's the purpose of this? Where are we all going? And so when I was in my teenage years, I began somewhat of a spiritual search. My dad actually was dating a woman in the New Age movement, and she was uh, closer to my age than my dad's age, and so we got on really well, and she... <laughs> And she began to teach me tarot cards, and uh, I'm not here to, 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 to preach New Ageism to you this morning, but uh, it was kind of through that that my eyes kind of began to be open to the possibility that there could be more than a material world, that there could actually be some spiritual things going on in this world. And equally, as that was happening, uh, I found myself talking to people who would constantly be introducing me to Jesus. I, I don't know if there was some kind of citywide evangelistic mission go on, you know, tell someone about Jesus week. But everywhere I went, people were coming up to me, talking to me about Jesus. And eventually, I was given uh, a Bible. Uh, it was the Good News Bible, the one that comes with pictures. 
uh, which was great because I went to public school. And, um, <laughs> and honestly, I, I remember it like yesterday, opening it up and reading about this person, Jesus, and being transformed, changed, impacted, compelled to find out more. This, this genuine love for people. Uh, this care for the outcast, uh, this ability to kind of stand up against false authority, you know, the religious hypocrites and just call it out, uh, miracles, power, just extraordinary. Like, who is this man? And then to discover that this same person went to the cross and died for me, this what appeared to be such a tragic end and to think that I was caught up in that, uh, man, I, just, I was changed by this Jesus and I gave my life to Jesus. Uh, I remember going to church for a bunch of times and they do the altar call thing, give your life to Jesus. I did it like 16 weeks in a row. Yes, I'm, gonna, I'm following Jesus. Well, I don't know what these other turkeys are doing, but I'm going to follow Jesus. And uh, really, it was a life-transforming uh, experience and journey and has been ever since. And, and I really want to, I committed my life at that point and I continue to commit my life at that point to two central things. Knowing this Jesus I want to know Jesus, right? And I, I don't stand up here tonight as someone who's worked this morning as someone who's worked Jesus out, right? I, I want to know more about Jesus. And as an overflow, I want to make Jesus known. So as an outworking of my love and my affection and my knowledge and my trust and my obedience of Jesus, I want to share Jesus with those around me. And um, today, I want to talk about what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. I want to talk about what it means to be a genuine, fair dinkum, true follower of Jesus. That's what I want us to talk about. I don't know if you've noticed this on Facebook, but uh, in, recent, um, in recent years, I've been overrun with uh, requests from fake friends. Does anyone else get this? Am I the only person? Okay, two hands, three hands. All right. By fake friends, I'm not talking about your superficial friend. Uh, who posts endlessly to make their life look amazing, when in reality they're an accountant. No. <laughs> Guest speaker license, you say whatever you want. <laughs> I'm talking about legitimate fake, like they've got a profile, but they're not a real person. And I did a bit of research in this because I get heaps of this kind of stuff. And turns out there are hackers out there who, who are creating fake profiles just to kind of get into your world, get access to your neck. Uh, networks and spam you with whole kinds of junk like sunglasses, shoes, and cat videos, that kind of stuff, right? And interestingly, I even found that there are companies who are selling fake friends and fake likes to help boost up people's profile because here we are in this generation that is obsessed with popularity, right? So politicians and celebrities and musicians are now buying fake friends, buying fake likes. There's actually a company I came across on the internet, I think we had a slide here, buymorefans.com. Feeling lonely? Here it is. Feeling lonely? Have no likes? Makes you look lonely, desperate, and unprofessional. Buy Facebook likes today and instantly look like a pro. Uh, if you haven't bought your mum a gift for Mother's Day, this is where you might want to send her. Now, why do I start with this? Well, <clears throat> we're going to go into Mark chapter 4, and in Mark chapter 4, it's helpful to realize that the popularity of Jesus is literally through the roof. 
So in Mark chapter 1, we're told that His Word and these miracles about Jesus are spreading throughout Galilee. In Mark chapter 2, we're told that He's preaching in a home and, 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 and healing in a home. And it's so packed in there that people can't get in. This one guy calls his mates to break in through the roof just to get near Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, we're told that the crowds are so big listening to Jesus that there's fears that He's going to be crushed. And so by the time we get to Mark chapter 4... We're told that Jesus is teaching from a boat, right? The, imagine that. The crowds are so flipping huge that Jesus has to preach from a boat. And yet here's what's interesting. Instead of kind of taking selfies and increasing his fan base, Jesus tells a parable to sift out who is genuine and real from who is fake who is genuine and real from what is fake. And so here's here's the big idea. It's possible to be part of the crowd, but not be a true convert. It's possible to be a fan, but not a true follower. It's even possible to have made a decision for Jesus and yet not be a true disciple. And that's a big question for us, right? It's a big question for our own soul and where we stand before Jesus. And it's also a big question big part of our mission. You know, I noticed this week in uh, the McCrindle research, the, one, the number one thing that is attracts people to the good news of the gospel isn't like a celebrity or a big band or a big event. No, it's genuine faith. Genuine living for Jesus. So what does it mean to be a genuine disciple? Well, if you've got a Bible handy, come with me to Mark chapter 4, verse 3 following. I'll read it out for us, and here's the parable. Jesus says, listen, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no gain." And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. So who is the true disciple of Jesus? Let's consider the, the soils that Jesus talks about. I want to begin by talking about the hard heart. The hard heart. One of the unique qualities of this particular parable is that Jesus unpacks what the various uh, images represent. And so, for example, if you look to verse 14, Jesus tells us that the seed, which the farmer scatters, represents the Word. Now, the Word is the good news of God's kingdom, which has come to us in Jesus. This is the good news that Jesus is Lord and you are loved. This is the good news that there is forgiveness and freedom and a future in His name. And yet, as we see in this parable, this good news, the Word, has differing results depending on the ground in which it lays. The first is what Jesus identifies as the path. Now, in the ancient world, a farmer's kind of field was long strips of grass divided by paths. And these paths would become very, very hard as people would walk on them and wheels would trod over them. They'd become so hard, they'd be like modern-day concrete 
that when the seed kind of spilled onto that path, that concrete, it just sat above the surface and birds could easily swoop on in and take it away. What does this mean? How does this relate to you and I? Well, verse 14, look there. Jesus says, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So the path represents those who've heard the message of the gospel, yet not received it as good news. Why? Because like like the pavement, their heart is hard. Their heart is hard. Uh, They may be intrigued by the popularity of Jesus, but when it comes to understanding Jesus, choosing Jesus, following Jesus, they're closed. They're closed. Ever met someone like that? Ever had a conversation with someone like that? Of course you have. I have had tons and tons of conversations with people who are intrigued by my faith, in fact, supportive even of my faith. And yet, as soon as you kind of probe a little deeper and talk about the relevance for their life, they're they're closed. Lots of different reasons for that. Uh, Sometimes uh, it can be that they're just a very kind of closed person. They make their ideas up about life and they, they see no alternative. They're never open to new ideas. Another experience I've found is that people who've struggled through Religious hypocrisy find it very difficult. They're very hardened by religious hypocrisy. My own mother, uh, when she was a nine-year-old girl, was uh, abandoned by her mother, and she grew up uh, in an orphanage that was run by uh, nuns who were supposed to be there to love and care for the orphans who were there, but instead were religious hypocrites. They were abusive. They were mean-spirited, and they'd often use God as a kind of a as a threat to get them to to be better behaved. And so as a result of that, uh, she's very hardened at times to the message of the gospel. And that's why we need a distinction, uh, need a distinction between you know, the gospel and false religion. But I think the main reason, the main reason we encounter hard hearts uh, is because of what the message of the gospel represents. The message of the gospel heralds a new kingdom. The message of the gospel heralds that Jesus is Lord. There's victory in His name and He calls us now to to surrender and leave behind everything and follow Him. Now, for those who've encountered the love of Jesus, that's good news. Like, hey, count me in. But for a lot of us who are still holding on to our independence, a lot of us who are holding on to our autonomy and want to justify what we want to do in ourselves, that is an offense. It's an offense, and we're hardened to that. Stephen Hawkins, a well-known atheist, once said, heaven is a fairy tale for people afraid of the dark, to which John Lennox, a well-known Christian, replied, atheism is a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the light. You hear what he's saying? The reason hearts are hard is not primarily about reason or a lack of historical evidence, but because we're afraid of the message of Jesus and what that might mean for our freedom and our loves and our joy. And interestingly, you'll note that Jesus says that as a result of this hardness of heart, the devil takes the truth away. So so we may have moments where we're kind of outside looking up the heavens, beginning to think about what we might have heard in the gospel, but immediately that truth is robbed away from us. 
It's taken away from us. Recently, I think it was last year, in fact, I finally got to watch the movie, uh, The Truman Show, uh, with Jim Carrey. Uh, I realize I'm a little late on the scene, <laughs> considering it came out in the 90s. Some of you perhaps weren't even born until the 90s, so that's okay. Um, and, and, and you've seen the film, you know the film. It's like Truman doesn't realize that he's living in a reality show. The whole world is one huge stage production. Every person in his village is, is actors and actresses who are keeping up this illusion of this life that he's apparently living. And who is behind the grand delusion? It's a producer named Christoph who's, who's directing a cast of thousands to, to prevent Truman from ever discovering the truth. But of course, keeping up a lie is difficult. There are glitches in the system. And we're always wondering whether he might break out and understand that there is reality beyond this lie. Interestingly, there's a moment when Truman uh, is getting close to discovering the truth and uh, a reporter interviews Christoph, the producer of this show, and she says, Christoph, let me ask you, why do you think that Truman has never come close to discovering the true nature of the world until now? And listen to his reply. Christoph says, we accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. It's as simple as that. It's a great line. A line that not only explains Truman, but also challenges us. For those who, who don't believe in Jesus, it's worth pausing to ask whether there might be something more than what is presented to you. In my life, I was presented with a way of life, with a way of believing, with a way of thinking. You need to pause and consider, is that truth? Is that reality? Or could it be that there is a sinister producer behind this trying to rob you of what is right and what is true? Second, let's talk about <clears throat> the shallow heart. Jesus speaks of other seed which falls on rocky ground and it springs up because the soil was shallow. But when the sun comes up, it's scorched by the sun and it withers because it has no depth. And listen in, what does that mean for the crowd? Verse 16, have a look with me there. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. The shallow heart is the one who receives the message of Jesus with enthusiasm. The message of love and hope of heaven, they receive it with enthusiasm. Yet when the honeymoon is over and faith appears costly, they throw in the towel and they walk away. That's the shallow heart. And why is that? Because their love and understanding of Jesus is superficial. Their love and understanding of Jesus is superficial. Uh, I, um, I was in a bookstore last year uh, checking out the uh, Christian section. Dangerous idea. Christian section of the bookstore. The first book I pick up was by a pastor of, I think it's still the, America's largest church. Uh, the pastor's name is Joel Osteen. And here's the title of the book. The power of I am. Two words that will change your life. Now, when I read that, the power of I am, I immediately thought he must be doing a series on Jesus in the Gospel of John. 
Because if you know the Gospel of John, that is how Jesus introduces himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the bread, I'm the door, I'm the shepherd. Wonderful. He's doing a book on the power of the Gospel and all about Jesus. Eh, Wrong answer. It's not about Jesus, the great I am. It's a book about us, the great I am, and the power of positive thinking. Christian bookstore, church pastor. Here's a quote from the book. I am not making this up. Ready? Whatever follows the words I am will always come looking for you. So when you go through the day saying, I am blessed, blessings pursue you. I am talented, talents follow you. I am strong, strength tracks you down. I am healthy, health heads your way. Wow. I hope you know that that is not Christianity. Christianity isn't, a, isn't about getting the things of the world to follow you. It's about laying down the things of the world and following Jesus. That's what Christianity is about. Now, to be fair, the Bible is full of very helpful wisdom that will help you navigate life and wisdom about career and job and ministry and relationships and marriage and family, full of great wisdom there that can help you in life, absolutely. But if that is the only reason you tap into the Word to get a bit of self-help, if that's the only reason you come along to Anchor Church or you're part of a gospel community, just to work out how this might help me with my next relationship or my next job, you have a superficial faith. And it will stand for a time, but when the waves of challenge hit you and they hit us all, when you don't get the job that you think God was going to give you, you don't get the boyfriend or the girlfriend that you've been praying for, you don't get the child or you get the child and the child's sick or you lose a child. When these waves hit you and they hit us all in varying ways in different directions, when they hit you, you'll give up on God and you'll walk away. That's what Jesus is calling out among the crowd. I've seen it so many times as a pastor and I've experienced it in my own life. Don Carson, great, great Uh, preacher, thinker, pastor says this, one of the major causes of devastating grief among Christians is that our expectations are false. We do not give the subject of suffering the thought it deserves until we ourselves are confronted with tragedy. If by that point, beliefs are largely out of step with the God who has disclosed himself in the Bible, then the pain from personal tragedy may be multiplied many times over as we begin to question the very foundation of our faith. Christianity, friends, isn't easy. It's difficult. It's difficult because even in addition to the waves of challenge that everyone in our world has to face, we as Christians have to also take on the waves of persecution and opposition. You see that Jesus himself points that out. Speaks of tribulation and persecution on account of the Word. Right? That's why he says in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Right? When I became a Christian, about 15 years of age, it took me about two weeks to discover this. Uh, We had a common room, music common room, where you were allowed to play whatever music uh, you, you wanted to play and everyone could sit in and listen at lunchtime at a cassette player. Uh, you guys don't know what cassette play t- play, uh, tapes are. Cassette tape is like an iPod, only way cooler. Um, anyway, I had this great idea to come in with my DC Talk mixtape. Yeah. 
And uh, I, I put it in, and for like, you know, like a few minutes, people are grooving. They're like, yeah, this, these rappers are cool. And then someone's like, hang on. These rappers aren't talking about what normal rappers talk about. They're talking about Jesus. And this one, it's a true story. This one guy runs, literally runs across the room, ejects the tape, my DC Talk mixtape, and smashes it against the wall. And comes up to me and says, how dare you play this Christian music in our common room? Right? His words were a little more co- uh, colorful than that. I gave you the Hope FM version. But I'm like, what? I didn't think DC Talk were that offensive. But the gospel, man, it has some way of unnerving people. And, and to me, that was just a foretaste of what would come. My own family, my own friends, uh, lost job opportunities, resistance, opposition, challenge to the gospel. I remember... Um, of course, you know, that, you know, they're only small when you consider what's happening around the world. I remember listening to Mike Gore. I know you guys like him from Open Doors. He told me a story, or he told a story, I should say, of uh, a teenage girl from Uganda named Susan who grew up in an Islamic, strict Islamic family. And one day she was at school and they had a visiting speaker or something like this. And they, she heard the gospel. She received the gospel. She decided to become a Christian. When she got home, her dad was furious, furious at her, held a knife to her. And said, Susan, if you don't stop going to church and worshipping Jesus, I'll kill you and your brother. Imagine your own dad telling you that. Susan didn't stop. I want to keep worshipping, trusting, following Jesus no matter what. And her dad grabbed her and locked her in a room, put her on a mat and said, I don't want you to leave that mat until you're ready to deny Jesus and stop this foolishness. And he locked the door. Susan's father didn't return to that room for three months. Think about that. And the only reason Susan survived while her father locked her in was because her older brother dug a hole under the door and was able to pour in water for her so she could lap it up underneath and then send through these fried bananas so she could eat it just just so she could stay alive. Uh, Eventually, neighborhood wondered where she was. They ended up calling in the police uh, when they found Susan, she was still sitting on the mat. She was alive, but, but only just. And as Susan was rushed to hospital, uh, she was asked why she didn't escape. And she said this, because my father said, if I were ever to leave that mat, I'd be denying Jesus. And I couldn't do that. I'd be denying Jesus, and I couldn't do that. Isn't that stunning? Isn't that a picture of what true faith is all about? The shallow heart is always conditional on what Jesus can give me. If he gives me what he wants, then I'll follow him. If he makes my life easy and comfortable, then I'll lift my hands and praise him. But if not, if life gets difficult, I'm getting off that mat and I'm walking out. Let's consider the next field, which I've called the divided heart. Jesus now turns to the seed that falls among the thorns, which choke it and it yields no gain. What does this represent among the crowd? Look again with me to verse 18. Jesus says, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Now, I'm a a huge fan of um, the book 
and the musical Les Mis. One of my favorite stories. Absolutely love it. I don't, Matt, do you like it? No, never seen it. Repent, brother. It's, um, it's beautiful. Uh, towards midway, midway through, it's a huge book, it's like a thousand words. Midway through, uh, we get to know a guy called Marius, and Marius lost his dad, and he kind of starts hanging out uh, with this group, who are a revolutionary group of guys who want to see revolution in France. Uh, and uh, they want to fight for the rights of the poor and the, the, the rights of the oppressed. And so they're, they're seeking this, this good kind of strong revolution. And, and yet, as they're getting ready to fight, like they really want to go to war and take, these guys, take the authority on in this, he's walking through this garden and he's struck by this beautiful woman girl called Cosette, and, 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 and he sees her, and in time he gets to know her, and as he leaves the, the garden, he realizes he's now in love. And, and, this, and this leads to this internal conflict, this internal conflict. Will he fight for revolution? Will he fight for the rights of the poor and the oppressed with his friends that he said he'd be with, or will he now pursue this new love that he has? Now, in the stage play, there's a song called Red and Black, uh, where they're talking out this conflict. And he says, the leader of the, the revolutionary uh, party says to him this, he says, it is time for us all to decide who we are. Have you asked of yourselves, what's the price you might pay? Is it simply a game for rich young boys to play? Marius replies, had you been there tonight, you might know how it feels to be struck to the bone in a moment of breathless delight. Had you been there tonight, you might also have known how the world may be changed in just one burst of light and what was right seems wrong and what was wrong seems right. The leader says, Marius, you're no longer a child. I do not doubt you mean it well, but now there is a higher call. Who cares about your lonely soul? We strive towards a larger goal. Our little lives don't count at all. I love that moment in the story because to me it resonates with our experience in the kingdom of God. That in Jesus, we too, very different to the French Revolution, but we too are called to be part of His revolution. We are called to follow Him, to be with Him, to journey with Him. And yet at the same time, we've all experienced the pull to other loves. We've all felt the, the call to give ourselves to something else, to put our foot, as it were, in the other camp. And Jesus calls us to, to trust Him, for example, to trust Him completely. And yet some of us wanna, are in love with our own control and our own power. We find that difficult. Jesus calls us, for example, to, to love holiness. And yet some of us are divided because our love for pleasure and our love for the flesh and our love for the world is, is always there calling us away. Uh, Jesus calls us to care for the sick and the poor, but some of us are drawn to our love of comfort, our love of prosperity, our love of wealth, and it divides us and it pulls us. And ultimately, Jesus calls us to love Him with everything we've got. And yet some of us are divided with a self-love. We can't give Jesus everything. We can't commit to Him in everything. I think in my life, I am prone, I mean, I love Jesus, but I'm prone to give myself to other things other than Jesus. And I think one of the things I'm prone to give my heart to is the love of success, particularly ministry success, right? Like I, I, I'm called to, to be a gospel leader and a pastor. And over the years, we've seen so much gospel fruit, which is all good, but but it's easy for me to kind of 
fix my eyes on those things and give my heart to those things and put my trust in those things as if those things are going to meet my desire for love, as if those things are going to satisfy me and they're going to give me my identity. Over the Easter weekend, just give you a little example, um, I, I preached at City on a Hill in Melbourne and uh, we had five services over the weekend. And in addition to that, I also spoke at an a Easter convention, a conference, and there were six talks there. And so over the Easter weekend, I preached 11 times. It's crazy. It's like one of my friends called it a gospel bender, right? <laughs> Just constantly talking about Jesus. It was awesome. And I did love it. And people come up to me and encourage me and all this kind of stuff, which I really enjoyed and loved. There was this really funny moment at the end of the convention I was at. I was actually speaking on the Beatitudes of Jesus. And, and a lady came up to me uh, with a, a, a commentary on the Beatitudes by John Stott, who's this author, famous preacher, pastor guy. And she says, uh, Guy, would you, would you sign this for me? I'm like, uh, I hate to tell you this, I'm not John Stott. <laughs> More bad news, he's dead. Um, she's like, oh, I know, I know, I know, I know, but you know, you preached on the Beatitudes, I just thought it'd be nice if you could sign this copy for me. I'm like, oh, there's people around wanting to chat, I'm like, this is so awkward, I didn't want to be mean, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll sign your John Stott commentary. And so, like, I wrote my name really, really small, <laughs> like this, because I just didn't want any part of it. And, and then she says, is that it? Like, what do you mean, is that it? I just signed my name. She's like, no, no, couldn't you write a message? I'm like, I, I, I guess I, okay. And then now I'm thinking I've got to say something quite profound. What would John Stott say? I mean, <laughs> you know, but here's the thing. As, as I got going, I got into it. Like a whole page of like blessing this and how the Lord is, you know, this. And I was in the groove and I started loving it. I'm thinking I could be the one pastor who never needs to write a book. I can just sign other people's books. <laughs> So if you've got a book with you today, just bring it down. John Stott, John Kelvin, John Piper, Harry Potter, doesn't matter. <laughs> bring it on down. I'll sign it for you. Um, why do I share that? Because <laughs> while it's terribly awkward, do you know how tempting it is for me to run to the success of ministry and the affirmation of success and find my identity in that? You know, Tim Keller talks about taking the good thing and making it an ultimate thing. We give our hearts to Jesus, and yet our hearts are also running to other loves. What is it for you? Be real with yourself in this very moment. What is it for you? What is it that captures your mind? Where do you go when you need comfort? Maybe someone's offended you. Where do you go for comfort? What do you think that, that if you could just get more of that, then you'd be complete? Uh, what do you fear losing more than anything else? Whose opinion, approval are you running to? If the answer to that is not Jesus, if we're not running to Jesus, going to Jesus, then we have a divided heart, friends. We have a divided heart. And in the end, a divided heart, as Jesus said, will be choked out by the world and proven to be unfruitful. And this brings us to our original question. Who is a real disciple of Jesus? Who among us truly belongs to Jesus? Who can be assured that they carry his name? Let's consider the fourth and final field, which is the fruitful heart. The fruitful heart. Look with me, please, to verse 20. Jesus says, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. 
Who is a true disciple of Jesus? Who can be assured they're part of the kingdom of God? It is the fruitful heart. The fruitful heart is the follower of Jesus who has received the word of God by faith. They follow Jesus and they don't give up when times are difficult. They don't give up when things get costly. They don't get strangled out by competing desires. The fruitful one is the one who perseveres with an undivided, complete, fixed attention on Jesus. And unlike the hard heart, the shallow heart, the divided heart, this is the heart that bears a great harvest. They're not dead in the ground. They're alive with spiritual fruit. Consider the words from Galatians 5. Hear it. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, Anchor Church, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong in Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You hear what he's saying? Some in the crowd are citizens of heaven. And you can tell because they bear the fruit of heaven. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. But some are citizens of earth. And they're not like the citizens of heaven. They may think they're on their way in. They may have their bags packed. But the absence of spiritual fruit reveals that their passport is void. You say, that sounds extreme. I know. And it is. Which is why Jesus said, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, who enter by many, are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Christianity is not a nice add-on to your already comfortable and easy life. Christianity is not a foot in both camps where you're excited about Jesus one day and you're throwing yourself at the world the next. True Christianity is a complete transformation of who you are, who you follow, what you believe, and how you now live. That's true Christianity. John 15, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciple. Now, is Jesus saying that we are saved by our good deeds or the quality of our character? No. The Bible is absolutely clear that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. But the evidence of saving faith, faith that is genuine and secure, is a transformed life where you are looking less and less like the world and more and more like Jesus. It's not saying you'll be perfect. I'm far from perfect. It's not saying you won't stumble. I stumble in sin. 
But what it is saying is that your union with Christ is so real that over time, His life becomes your life. His truth becomes your truth. His righteousness is your righteousness. His beauty is your beauty. His love is expressed in your love. You know this? Some years ago, uh, artist Keith Green uh, was singing at a Christian music festival, and in between songs, he just stopped everything. He said this, I've got a good acid test for you. If people can't tell that you're changed, you're not. If people can't see that you're born again, you're probably not. If your mother doesn't know that Jesus is living inside of you, she probably knows better than anybody. If Jesus isn't showing up in your clean, spotless bedroom, then he isn't showing in that way that you deal with people and your Christianity has a lot to be desired. Where is your heart today? Where is your heart today? Are you among the hard hearts? Those who resist the word of God? Are you among the shallow hearts? Those who are committed to Jesus, but you find yourself retreating when things get difficult? Are you among the divided hearts, constantly at war, whether you're actually following Jesus or following the world? Or do you have a fruitful heart? Are you trusting and treasuring Jesus and growing more and more to become like Him? As we prepare to respond and the band comes up, I want you to really note how Jesus concludes this parable. Um, He says this, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hearing moves us, friends, beyond just listening. It's a receiving of the good news of his kingdom in such a way that we are embracing his word, living in accordance with his word. It's perseverance, it's trust, it's genuine obedience. For those of you here who are not yet following Jesus, the call on your life is to turn away from the world and trust and hear His Word. To recognize who He is. To recognize that this Jesus is the one who lived a life that you could not live, which is a life without sin, and then He died the death that you should have died, the death for sin. And He calls you to hear His Word, to let it break through that hard ground and respond in faith. And if that's you here tonight, today, if you're here as someone who's eager to find out more about this Jesus, then please don't leave today without talking to someone who brought you or one of the pastors here or myself. We'd love to help you, serve you in that way. But it could also be that today, as the Word of God has gone out, you who are a Christian may be challenged in your own faith. And you may be challenged to consider how genuine your faith is. And your desire right now, Lord willing, is that you'd go deeper. And there'd be a great temptation, wouldn't there, in that to think that we can do that in our own strength. I'm just going to go out. I'm going to be a better Christian. I'm going to be more faithful, more obedient. I can do this and we can do this. No, you can't do this. It's a gift of God by the power of His Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit alone. It's why Jesus said elsewhere, abide in me, anchor church, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You don't need more willpower. You don't need more discipline. You don't need more steps or strategy. You need more of God, more of His power in your life, more of His truth in your life, more of His love occupying your life. 
He and He alone is the one who can break a hard heart. He is the one who can take the root of the gospel and make it deep. He is the one who can work in your divided heart, your misplaced loves, and orientate you towards His glory and behold His beauty. And He is the one who can help you bear fruit. If you trust Him, it might take time. It may take years, but if you come before Him in humility and say, I need more of you, Lord. I need, I'm desperate for you. Oh, He wants to meet you today. Oh, He wants to fill you today. Oh, He wants to satisfy you today in His Word. And so as we prepare to respond, would you join me in prayer? You might like to stand. Perhaps even just as a sign of your dependence upon Jesus, you might just want to stretch out your hands before you. Heavenly Father, we just confess so we just confess that so often we fail to see your glory and your beauty and your love and truth. Would you work in our hearts, Lord? Occupy the center of our heart, govern our affections, draw us towards your will, that we'd be a people who would love you, would love your word, would love your life, we would know your life, we'd cherish your life live a genuine life with and for you. Thank you for these men and women. Move and empower them by your Holy Spirit for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, Amen.